our first episode of our podcast, Let's Debunk It Vaccines. We're going to talk about some common myths around vaccines in general, and we're also going to talk about a very hot topic, the COVID-19 vaccine, and some myths that follow that as well. Oh boy, do we have a good one for you. A good series of episodes, and we're going to just dive right into it with, um, we'll start with, one of the biggest ones is, when you get the COVID vaccine, do you get COVID? No, you you don't. I know that this is a huge myth that follows not only the COVID vaccine, but any vaccine in general, but we'll use uh, COVID for example. It doesn't give you the virus. The mRNA vaccine, for example, just helps your body recognize spike proteins which are found on top of COVID, but it's not injecting you with a COVID virus. And the viral vaccine, which the Johnson & Johnson uses, also isn't infecting you or injecting you with COVID-19. It uses a similar harmless virus that is not COVID. And this goes with any other vaccine. When when you get a vaccine, you're not being injected with a virus that's going to kill you. Uh, So, I mean, there's a lot of discussion around this. Um, A lot of people get the vaccine and they they feel the side effects. And that is what kind of comes into play with how people think they actually get the disease which is yeah it's not true i mean i know we've all done it we get the flu vaccine and a week later you have flu-like symptoms and you're like oh wow perfect i got the flu from the flu shot yeah but that's just your immune system doing its job (laughs) the goal of the vaccine is to allow your body to react to something that's new it's, it, it gives your body a chance to build something up as a precaution uh, in order to fight something off that could be coming your way. At some point, uh, you may not. Uh, luckily, I have, knock on wood, had the chance to get COVID throughout the lovely two years. I'm major knock on wood here. Um, but I still advocated for the vaccine. I still got the vaccine. I, for one, got Pfizer. Uh, I thought it was great. I really didn't have any side effects. Um, It wasn't until the Moderna booster I I had the side effects, but still I feel great that I am vaccinated. I am protected. Uh, I have the ability to uh, have that confidence that um, with the booster and whatnot, that if I do get COVID, I will not. Uh, or hopefully not be hospitalized or really feel the dangerous effects that could come from the disease itself because my body is prepared due to the vaccine. And I know we'll we'll get into this, but just to kind of dip our toes in it, you know, this sparks a huge debate of uh, vaccine hesitancy because people see, oh, I'm going to feel, you know, my arm's going to hurt and I'm going to feel achy, head to toe, possible fever, this, that, and the whole nine yards. And people are, you know, it's very natural to be scared because this is this is an all new territory and people are like I don't want to get the vaccine I don't want to feel like dirt but you know it you, you can agree with me it's a lot better to feel like crap for a day or two 
expected them to be possibly possibly hospitalized or die because you chose not to get the vaccine, you know? Yeah. What's the um oh it's just like that that meme, uh like Sid in Ice Age where he says, I choose life. No thanks. I choose life. No thanks. I choose life. I choose the ability to um, be protected against something that has shown to be very detrimental to any demographic. Um, I mean, I'm sure we don't have we don't have a lot of data on children yet, but I'm sure that'll come. But regardless, any pathogen entering your body uh, can be harmful. Um, I mean, you take a look at the uh, you take a rubella, measles, mumps, pertussis, uh, whooping cough as. Um, in layman's term, uh, and all of these can really ravage a person's body if if you if you're not prepared for it. Um, branching off of that, you know, uh, when infants come out of the womb, they don't have an immune system uh, till about three months old. So, um, following the CDC schedule, they they get their shots, and that helps build their immune system. Um, and it's this the schedule for not only kids, but until you get to your, I, th- I think it's early teens, is when you finish the um, yeah, sounds the about vaccine right. schedule. Uh, so that I mean, throughout that time, you're you're introducing your body to these uh, precautions, if uh, for lack of a better term, to allow your body to be aware and prepared for something that could really enter your enter your um the everyday life of your microbiota and your and your cells because they can really do damage and i know it's it's hard for a parent to hear that i mean it's not easy going through nine months of carrying a child going through childbirth and then almost immediately you know, a doctor is saying, okay, now we need to vaccinate your child with all of these. So jumping off of parent vaccine hesitancy, another common myth and both hesitancy is ingredients in a vaccine. Now, formaldehyde is found in some vaccines. That's not necessarily a myth. But when people hear things like formaldehyde or some other scientific ingredient that they can't pronounce, people tend to panic. I mean, if I was not a bio major and I saw that formaldehyde was in, I don't know, some sort of food I was eating, I'd be like, oh, I don't, and you know, I didn't know much about formaldehyde. I'd be like, I don't know how I feel about that. Interestingly enough, though, fun fact about formaldehyde, did you know that there's 60 times more formaldehyde in a pear than there is in a vaccine? I did not know that. Yeah. That's kind of a crazy topic. I mean, another one is, you know, there, there's at least a 10 times more formaldehyde naturally circulating in the body of an infant than there is in a vaccine. Now, I know a lot of people who don't have a strong background in science don't know this, but our bodies produce formaldehyde. I mean, we are, we, we produce 
things like formaldehyde, and it's just Chemicals. hard. Thank you. Chemicals. I don't, I don't know why that was so hard for me to think <laughs> of. But our body produces chemicals. Yes. So, like, what is formaldehyde? I mean, it's a big word, uh, very scientific in nature. So, uh, formaldehyde, it's, it's a chemical, and mainly in vaccines, it's used to inactivate the... Uh, virus that is introduced, whatever bacteria virus that you're using to create and produce the vaccine as a way of manufacturing, the formaldehyde is a way to inactivate that. Um, and so you're not just really putting an active virus in your body, you're using more of a dead virus that can't really cause harm um, past you know side effects to uh, prepare your body. So, I mean, another myth, so, not another myth, but one of the main myths is that, you know, vaccines contain toxic ingredients. And like we were just talking about with formaldehyde, it's widely debunked. Uh, vaccines are very safe. Uh, the ingredients that they possess are, are safe. They're tested. They're uh, trials are done on them and and data is gathered through copious amounts of um, experiments and trials uh, and one of the biggest things is the dosage is everything when it comes to toxicity I mean think about uh, what we were just talking about with pears and the amount of formaldehyde that is in your body already I mean yeah, if you just drank a beaker full of formaldehyde, you'd get pretty sick. But uh, if the amount in a vaccine is so small, so it it's a tr it's labeled as trace amount, and it's not considered toxic or harmful. Yeah, I mean the the, the biggest takeaway from these chemicals that are found in vaccines is they're in such minute teeny, 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 tiny portions, but they serve a huge purpose to helping the vaccines work effectively and safely. Safety is everything. I mean, uh, just like, in, in other words, branching off of that, a lot of vaccines contain gelatin and egg products. Uh, people are worried they're going to get uh, severe allergic reactions or anaphylaxis from getting the vaccine uh, but these two like gelatin and, and eggs the, the proteins that are used like in flu vaccines they can cause uh, anaphylaxis and allergic reactions uh, you can't say that they, they don't but these when they do it's such a very rare uh, occasion um, and those you know that are affected that tend to see these allergic reactions tend to have a very large history of severe allergies or allergic reactions to things such as gelatin and eggs. Um, but like everything uh, in related to medical or, or um, your body, uh, talk to your doctor. Uh, talk to a trained medical professional and gather their opinion gather what they think would be best for you when uh, getting a vaccine or doing anything uh, related to your health because they are they're trained and they, they know 
So jumping off of vaccine hesitancy and ingredients that are found in a vaccine, uh, another common myth is that people believe that natural immunity is much stronger and more natural than a uh, vaccine-produced immunity. And, you know, although on paper it might seem like natural immunity is, you know, the, the better of the two, but natural immunity, when you get sick with, say, the flu, for example, your body fights off the flu, and you have antibodies for that flu strain, and that's it. And you were sick for X amount of days, and your body fights it off. A vaccine, on the other hand, you're protected from several strands of a given disease, and your body's not your body will have to fight off an immune response, but it's much safer because you're not actually fighting off of the illness. Yeah, you're not getting the full-blown full effect of the illness. You're getting um, something that you're prepared for. Your body is prepared to fight off. So, I mean, a natural infection can really invoke a, a greater immune response but in the grand scheme of things, your body is not ready for uh, something that could really do damage to your immune system or your cells. And since it's not ready, then it takes time. It, you can really feel the effects of the, of the virus or disease. Whereas if you gear yourself more towards a vaccine-induced immunity, yeah, make capable take a couple of, uh, of pokes with the um, with the vaccine but regardless uh, the induced immunity from a vaccine uh, is probably much better so jumping off of that there are some vaccines that you need to protect you from certain diseases that you can't be protected from natural immunity so one of these is tetanus so tetanus is an extremely potent neurotoxin produced from a vegetable cell. So when you fight off tetanus, your body doesn't produce antibodies to then fight it off a second time. A vaccine like tetanus is your best chance for fighting off the tetanus virus. Uh, and jumping off of that, another one, um, for example, is the Haemophilus influenza type B or HIV or Hib however you want to call it, um, which can cause intellectual disability and measles, which then can lead to death. Um, and all of these uh, can be avoided with um, a vaccination, and your body is ready for that, and so get vaccinated. So another myth that is very relevant right now is if everyone around me is immune, then I don't need to be vaccinated. So getting vaccinated is like wearing a mask, which is something that we're very accustomed to wearing right now. But most vaccine-preventable diseases are spread through person-to-person -person contact, and when one person in the community gets the disease, it can easily spread to other people. So looking at it from a COVID standpoint, most people, when they get a COVID vaccine, they don't think that they need to wear a mask anymore. And 
frankly, that's not true. The CDC strongly recommends still wearing a mask and washing your hands. Yes, washing your hands is very important. Um, a common thing that people say is sing the happy birthday song. It may not be your birthday, but you got to wash those hands. So it's about the right amount of time that you should be washing your hands. Uh, I mean, I'm terrible at singing, so uh, I won't be singing the happy birthday song out loud, but in my head I, I will be doing it and to uh, make sure that I clean my hands. Um, and so... So jumping off of you know, not having to wear your mask, having to wear your mask, and the debate between that, what, what do you think about how fast the COVID vaccine was produced? Yeah, well, you know, it's it's a good and bad in a way, but the good completely outweighs the bad. Um, the bad being um, that... Yes, it was done in a very short amount of time, which on the surface seems relatively bad, but we were in a very critical time as not only a nation, but the world. So we needed to get this vaccine out to not only save lives, but prevent hospitalization, prevent death. And so, yes, it was rushed, but moving on to the good, it was rushed so we could do those good things like like saving lives um and it was rushed but still went through the effective channels to prove not only its efficacy but its um what's the word effectiveness which is basically efficacy yeah and jumping off of that i mean the vaccine has shown a 95 percent effectiveness against preventing or helping lower symptoms that are life-threatening. So the COVID-19 vaccine, since we're more focused around that with today's climate and everything, the, the COVID vaccine from the Pfizer and Moderna as mRNA vaccines uh, utilize a method that's been in development for, I believe it is 10 years so it's not new. The method, the methodology, and the science behind it is not new. Uh, however, the process of vaccine development exploded during the start of the uh, pandemic. Yeah, it may... COVID, to us, seems like a new thing. And as someone who... You may not have a huge science background. It's it's hard to trust, you know, all of a sudden that science has a vaccine for this disease that is you know, ravaging the world. But this is a global effort. It wasn't just American scientists doing their research and saying good luck to the rest of the world. The whole world is working together, you know, Countries shared findings to, to help, you know, help the common good. There, were, there was no selfishness in helping create a COVID vaccine. You are completely right about that. I mean, it, China isolated the strains, shared the genetic information, and allowed us to 
work on vaccines and start working on them for the um, for the first part. Uh, so no testing steps in the whole process of development of the vaccine was skipped. Uh, some were actually done overlapping though to save time. Um, and a lot of people frown on that. However, time was crucial. Time was time was of the essence for a cliche phrase, but we really needed to get these vaccines out on time and and skipping steps was not a, um, a proper thing to do. However, overlapping them kind of allowed us to not only see what's going on in one step, but continue on to the next one to see the effects of, of that step uh, and gather the data in a faster and more efficient manner uh, than just re actually rushing through it and pushing something out that isn't complete. And I mean, you can see that as Dan said, time was of the essence. I mean, you can go to, I mean, I personally use NPR to check the the curve, but you, you can see when, you know, COVID first started, you know, cases were up and up and up and up. It was a global effort to try and, I mean, not necessarily flatten the curve, but try to lessen it. So COVID is a very contagious and widespread disease uh, coming from the SARS-CoV-2 virus. Uh, and since it was a lot, it was very new, and now in this day and age, a lot of new things spread quite quickly because of social media. Uh, and during those trials and the development process, social media was actually very helpful in find in companies being able to find volunteers to engage in their studies and help with the research that allotted. Uh, us to get the vaccine faster. I mean, you know, I want to ma wear a mask just as much as the next guy, but, you know, it is... People wanted to help the greater good, you know? So, switching gears, we want to talk about quite possibly one of the, um, the biggest myths that surrounds vaccines, and that is that vaccines can cause autism kind of the father of the myth, uh, Andrew Wakefield, a lovely guy who in 1998 published a study in a journal called The Lancet suggesting that the measles, mumps, and rubella, also known as the MMR vaccine, triggered autism in children uh, among two-year-olds. And this was done in England. However, finally in 2004, uh, conflicts of interest were finally found and Wakefield, when applying for the patent on his own measles vaccine, seemed to have received money from the lawyers trying to sue the companies that made the MMR vaccine. So, big conflict of interest there. Maybe he was trying to get his own kind of profit in a way uh, trying to profit off of misrepresentation and, and wrong data uh, that seemed to try to correlate a vaccine to autism but as we found it 
blew up in his face. So, jumping off of uh, Andrew Wakefield, there was an ingredient that was thought to be in vaccines like the MMR called thimerosal. So, thimerosal is a mercury-based presentative that has been used for decades in the U.S. in multi-dose virals containing more than one dose of medicines and vaccines. There's never been any evidence of harm caused by the low doses of thimerosal. I mean, back to what we talked about earlier, just like, you know, formaldehyde, these are used in tiny doses. Anyway, this this ingredient that was claimed to be in thimerosal people stated that thimerosal causes autism. It does not, in fact. There has been no strong or supporting evidence to this claim that thimerosal causes autism. Uh, where it stems from, though, is that uh, thimerosal is mercury-based. So, you know, back in the uh, 1900s, mercury was kind of a scary thing, and it seemed to affect the... Uh, mercury was thought to affect people's bodies in a detrimental way. However, this really comes down to what type of mercury... Uh, that you're experienced or you're exposed to. It's, it, mercury is naturally occurring, found all over the earth in the air, water, and soil, but there's two types that are very different um, that people are exposed to. It's methylmercury and ethylmercury. So methylmercury, and th- this, is, this is another huge thing is, you know, when people see two scientific words that they don't know how to pronounce it's scary and it's it's very very easy to mess them up methylmercury is the type of mercury found in certain fish at very very high exposure levels methylmercury can be toxic to those methylmercury can be toxic to people so in the US methylmercury is found in the environment and is in found in food like fish for example over your lifetime you're going to be exposed to methylmercury in some form or another so thimerosal uh, as we've been talking about contains ethylmercury so M as in methyl E as in ethyl which is found in the thimerosal and is cleared from your body more quickly than methylmercury and is therefore much less likely to cause any harm uh, which is next to none as we see with us being exposed to methylmercury over a lifetime. So thimerosal itself was taken out of vaccines in the US in 2001. So the MMR vaccine that we've been discussing never actually contained thimerosal. So the chickenpox, polio, and pneumococcal conjugate vaccines also never had thimerosal. The flu vaccine, however, uh, there are vaccines with thimerosal and thimerosal-free versions. 
So for a complete list of any vaccines, you can visit the U.S. Uh, Food and Drug Administration, also known as the FDA, for more information uh, about thimerosal and vaccines. Uh, and like anything else, talk to a trained medical professional or uh, visit the CDC website for more information on uh, any vaccines, diseases, or anything pertaining to uh, that kind of information. Yeah, I mean, the, a vaccine is just like food you eat. I mean, there there is an ingredients list, and you can access it through the Food and Drug Administration, and you can see exactly what's in a vaccine, how much is in it, and why it's necessary for those things to be there to help it work. So we just wanted to say thank you for listening. We hope to see you in our next episode. So next episode, we're going to be interviewing Dr. Lisa Rimbetsi-Brown. Dr. Lisa Rimbetsi-Brown. Thank you. You're welcome. And then our final episode, we are going to be talking about vaccine conspiracy theories. So look forward to that. We'll... A big one we'll be talking about is the microchip controversy, so look forward to the coming podcasts. Microchips, eh? Microchips and vaccines, yep. A very, mm. very heated conspiracy theory. Found in vaccines. All right. Well, I guess we'll see you then. See you then.